0: Long Shai ram and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. As I told you last time, Kamsa who was scared to death that the 8th born of Devaki was still alive, began to try using the help of Asuras, every possible means to kill all newborn babies in his kingdom. One of these agents was a female named Putana. And seeking young babies to kill, she wandered into Gokulam. There, her attention was attracted by the sight of a steady stream of people, particularly women, going in and coming out of Nanda's house. Investigating the matter, she discovered that it was all due to the presence in that house of a most charming baby. Promptly, Putana assumed the form of a beautiful young lady. She had the power to assume any form she desired. And having assumed the form of a beautiful lady, Putana entered Nanda's house. And there she requested Yasoda to give her baby Krishna, so that she may fondle the baby and give milk to it. This Yasoda gladly did, because she had some work to attend to. And after handing over the baby, she disappeared inside, feeling that the baby was safe with the visitor. What Putana had planned to do was to feed Krishna not milk but a deadly poison. But Krishna quietly sucked away the poison and Putana's life as well. Putana fell dead and when she did so, she reverted to her natural grotesque form. Shortly after this, Yashoda returned and she swooned upon seeing the carcass of a huge demoness and her baby playing nonchalantly by its side. The entire village was mystified by the event and especially the death of the demoness. But none could associate Krishna with her destruction. When Yasoda regained her consciousness, she rushed to the altar to offer her grateful thanks to Narayana for saving a child. Putana's death was a setback for Kamsa, but he was not ready to give up. A steady procession of Asuras were dispatched to Gokulam as executioners. But as it happened, it was they who got executed. In every case, Krishna managed things so adroitly that the villagers, Yasoda in particular, were led to believe that it was an unseen divine hand that was protecting the baby. Meanwhile, back in Mathura, Vasudeva, who knew the secret about the two boys growing up in Gokulam, constantly thought of them. He was anxious that all the religious rites meant for protecting children must be gone through in their case also. And he summoned his family priest Garga and asked him to drop in at Nanda's house as if casually and perform all the due ceremonies. Garga called on Nanda as instructed, whereupon Nanda requested the priest to formally name the two boys. Garga readily did so, naming the son of Rohini as Balarama and that of Yasoda as Krishna. He then said to Nanda, In an earlier birth, This Krishna of yours was born as a son to your relative Vasudeva in his earlier birth. For that reason, your son will also be known as Vasudeva. But right now, I would advise you to keep quiet about this other name, lest Kamsa gets funny ideas. If the baby marvels of Krishna were a source of wonder, his childhood leelas become a source of delight to many and a headache to some. Stealing butter from the houses of various gopis or cowherd girls, of course in the company of other boys, became a daily ritual and there was no end to the complaints that yasoda constantly received. Fresh butter is known as Navanitam. Hence, amongst his friends, Krishna was also known as Navanita Krishna. One day when all the children were playing in the courtyard, Balarama ran excitedly to Yasoda and said, Aunty, Krishna is eating mud by the handful. Perplexed and annoyed and worried, Yasuda rushed to Krishna and asked him whether he was eating mud as was being alleged. Krishna, his eyes wide and innocent, shook his head as if to deny. Not believing him, Yashoda ordered Krishna to open his mouth so that she could check. Obediently, Krishna opened his mouth. And what did Yashoda see in it? The entire universe, including herself and her darling baby Krishna. Totally dazed, she muttered to herself, Is this real? Or is it all a part of the Maya of the Lord? Incidentally, I might mention that speaking at Prashanti Nilayam a couple of days before birthday in 1994, the then Prime Minister of India described the remarkable changes in the village of Puttaparthi by quoting those very words of Yasoda. To get back to the story, the vision that Yasoda saw passed and soon she was back to her role as a happy but tormented mother. While Krishna reverted to being the naughty but adorable son. On another occasion, Krishna was particularly difficult and Yasoda became thoroughly exasperated. Wanting to keep him under check, she tied a rope around his waist and anchored it to a heavy stone mortar. Feeling secure, Yasoda then went about her work. In the beginning, Krishna passed them watching the birds and the monkeys in the courtyard. But getting bored, he began to crawl on all fours, dragging effortlessly behind him the huge mortar intended by Yasoda to be an anchor. In the courtyard were two tall trees growing close to each other. Krishna went right between them, but the mortar got stuck. When Krishna pulled forward, the tree snapped and fell to the ground. Instantly, they both were transformed into two beings. Falling at Krishna's feet, they said, O Lord, we are the sons of Kubera, the deity of wealth. We became trees on account of a curse, but by your grace, we have received redemption. So saying, they vanished. It all happened on account of the rope tied around his waist. Of course, Krishna had willed it be that way. And for this reason, Krishna is sometimes referred to as Damodara. The inhabitants of Gokulam became concerned that the mishaps to Krishna were occurring in a never-ending sequence. True by God's grace, no evil had befallen the young one. But maybe there was something evil about the very place. Why not therefore move out to some other spot like the beautiful Brindavan nestling under the Govardhan hill, Govardhanagiri? and close to the river Yamuna. Thus it was that Krishna and his Gopala cowherd friends soon found themselves frolicking in Vrindavan and its neighbourhood. By now Krishna was a bit older and he used to join the other boys of the village in taking the cows out every day for grazing. Kamsa, disturbed as ever that his mortal enemy was still out there somewhere, continued to send his agents on the prowl. One such asura by name, Batsa, disguised himself as a calf and mixed with a bunch of cows and calves taken out by the cowherd boys, waiting for an opportunity to attack Krishna. Krishna easily saw through the disguise and made short work of the asura. Another asura named by name Baka met the same fate. And after Baka came Agha, the brother of Putana and Baka. Agha assumed the form of a mountainous python and lay in wait for Krishna with his enormous mouth wide open. The Gopalas, straying in the neighborhood, mistook the wide open mouth to be a cavern and entered in it in order to explore. The cows and calves followed the boys, but Krishna stayed outside quietly watching the proceedings. Just as the python was about to close its mouth, Krishna too entered and allowed himself to be trapped along with the others. When the jaw snapped shut, Krishna began to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Aga tried his best to spit out Krishna, but Krishna stayed put till the asura was choked to death. Most of the boys were about five years old, which was also roughly Krishna's age at that time, when this incident took place. Young they might have been, but amazed they certainly were by the constant display of Krishna, of his extraordinary yogic powers. However, through his shroud of yoga maya, Krishna soon made them forget these remarkable incidents, after which Krishna was to them just like one of them. Meanwhile, Brahma the Creator was watching all these events from heaven. He at that time did not really know who Krishna was and decided to test the limit of Krishna's powers. Brahma then came down from the heaven. While Krishna was dozing under a tree, he collected the boys, the cows and the cows and hid them in a cabin. When Krishna woke up, he found that he was all alone. Exercising his yogic vision, he immediately understood Brahma's game and smiling to himself, he decided to teach Brahma a lesson. Accordingly, with a mere wave of his hand, he created an entire replica of all the missing boys, cows and cows and with this duplicate party, he returned in the evening to the village. On reaching the village, the party dispersed as usual the boys and the animals going to their respective homes. The villagers did not realize that the boys and animals were duplicates, but they did notice that they felt an unusual love towards them. Not surprising, since the boys and animals were nothing but a direct projection of Krishna himself. As a part of his divine Leela, the one had become many. For almost a year, this replica of cows, cows and boys, created specially by Krishna, went accompanying Balrama and Krishna every day to the grazing grounds, returning at sundown. No one suspected that anything was amiss. Meanwhile, Brahma, who was watching from above, became puzzled. He had carefully hidden the boys and the animals, but here was Krishna taking them out every day. How could that be? Suddenly, it dawned on him that it was Krishna who had duplicated himself into various forms and that he was none other than the supreme cosmic reality, now pretending to be a cowherd boy. Ashamed and repentant, Brahma came down, prostrated before Krishna and begged for forgiveness. The boys and animals originally concealed were duly set free, upon which... Krishna made his projections to disappear. As he withdrew, Brahma said to himself, How lucky are these Gopalas to have the Lord constantly in their midst, to move with him on equal terms, to play with him, eat with him, and share various experiences with him. But little do they know who their companion really is the Lord continues to play the same trick for how easily do we forget who Swami really is. Once, while grazing the animals, some of the boys felt thirsty and they went to a nearby lake to quench their thirst. Krishna did not go with them. Unfortunately, the waters of the lake were poisoned by a huge and deadly snake named Kaliya that lived in it. Therefore, the moment the boys drank the water, they fell dead. After a while, Krishna, finding that the boys who had gone for a drink had not returned, went in search of them along with his other companions and soon came upon a pile of corpses by the lakeside. Instantly, he knew what had happened and he angrily entered the lake. The moment Krishna did so, Kaliya attacked him fiercely seeing which Krishna's surviving companions raised a mighty hue and cry. Their wail was so loud that it could be heard in the village, and the people of the village rushed to the lakeside. And the sight that greeted them was shocking beyond words, for there was their darling Krishna being overwhelmed, or almost overwhelmed, by the deadly snake Kaliya. It was of course a part of the drama, and Krishna merely wanted to give the impression that the snake was getting the better of Him. After appearing to struggle for a while, Krishna suddenly turned the tables and soon He was dancing over the spread hood of the subdued snake. Swami has explained the symbolic meaning. The five hooded snake represents the five senses. When the senses have no control, the effect is poisonous. But when they surrender to the Lord, they become subdued. Right from the moment of his birth, Krishna was a darling to the gopis or the cowherd girls of the village. First as a charming baby and later as a naughty prankster who often stole butter. Much has been written about Krishna's relationship with the gopis, a good bit of it with a romantic slant, sometimes overdone. Such literature might tend to give the impression that Krishna was something of a playboy. Nothing could be farther from the truth and Swami has severely condemned all such erroneous portrayals. As Swami points out, the two things go against this romantic image. Firstly, Krishna was barely 5 or 6 years old at that time and is therefore patently absurd to attribute sensuous motives to his relationships with the gopis. Secondly, and this is an even more important consideration, Krishna was the Lord who had descended on earth, and surely one would not expect the master of the senses to go around acting like a Casanova. Would he, the ultimate guru who had come to teach the Gita, set such an example? Obvious though these points are strangely They have not found wide expression prior to Swami's comments. Another time, once again while out grazing the cows, the boys felt hungry and on Krishna's advice, they approached a group of Brahmins for food. The Brahmins, who were at that time in the midst of an important ritual, did not take kindly to the interference from the boys and chased the boys away. Hungry and angry, the boys returned to Krishna for a new solution to their problem. Krishna smiled and said, Go again to the ashram of the brahmins. But this time, you ask the wives of those performing the yagnas. They are called yajya Ask the yajya for food. And when the Gopalas went to the women and asked them for food in Krishna's name, What a difference it was. Instantly, the Yajyampathnis collected all the special food made for the sacrificial offering, Naivedyam, and rushed to where Krishna was. These women were not versed in the Vedas, nor in the performance of Vedic rituals, but their hearts were full of love for Krishna. They knew who he was, and seeing him, they shed tears of joy and Krishna obliged them with a glorious darshan. Later, when the Brahmins heard about the divine darshan that their wives had received, but which they had missed, they repented their folly. The story has a moral, which is that love for the Lord is more important than mere scholarship or adherence to rituals. The latter could, as it did in this case, lead to spiritual blindness. Once. When he was about seven years old, Krishna saw everyone in Vrindavan preparing for a big yajna. He became curious and he asked Nanda what the excitement was all about. Nanda replied that the village was getting ready to perform a yajna to propitiate Indra, the king of the devas. Sounding innocent, Krishna asked, Father, is it not true that one becomes the king of the devas? After performing a hundred sacrifices? Nanda said yes. And Krishna said, So, isn't there someone who confers this kingship? When Nanda replied in the affirmative, Krishna then asked, In that case, Father, why don't we worship that ultimate God rather than a mere underling of His? Nanda became deeply alarmed and said, "Shh, Krishna, don't say such things loud. If Indra hears, we would all be in trouble. But Krishna would not be quiet and so easily, and he continued to insist that the Supreme One alone should be worshipped. Indra, who did not know who Krishna really was, which was a mistake committed earlier by Brahma, mistook Krishna for a spoiled brat and decided to teach the villagers a fitting lesson for not training their children to respect the King of Heaven. Indra summoned Varna, the god of the waters, and ordered him to cause a deluge and come down on that village with heavy rains, with unprecedented fury. The rains came, and everyone was petrified. Nanda scolded Krishna for having aroused the wrath of the gods. Krishna merely smiled, as if to say, Why fear when I am here? And you know what he did? He casually lifted the hill Govardhan as if it were a mere pebble and held it aloft over the drenched village like a gigantic umbrella. Thwarted in his designs, Indra realized that Krishna was no brat, but the cosmic one in human form. Deeply repentant, he fell at Krishna's feet, seeking pardon. The time for Kamsa's extermination was fast approaching. And, as if to set the wheels in motion, sage Narada informed Kamsa that Devaki's eighth son was actually growing up in Vrindavan in the house of Nanda and explained to Kamsa how the transfer of Krishna was stage managed. Given this firm tip, Kamsa initiated fresh steps to trap Krishna. This time, no effort would be spared. But first, Krishna would have to be lewd to come to Matra. For this purpose, Kamsa organized a grand festival and sent his lieutenant Akrura to specially invite Nanda and his family. As Akrura's chariot bearing Krishna and the others was about to leave Vrindavan for Matra, the gopis who had gathered there realized that Krishna would not return and for them this was a stunning blow. They cried, wept, pleaded and used every trick known to detain Krishna, but the artful dodger made a neat getaway as there was a job waiting. Kamsa had to be killed and his parents Vasudeva and Devaki had to be freed. As Krishna and Balarama arrived at the special stadium created for staging the sporting events, it was already packed to capacity. Just then, Kamsa arrived and took his seat amidst loud cheering by his henchmen. On a signal from him, the evil plan to do away with Krishna was set in motion. A mad elephant named Kvalayapida was let loose upon Krishna, but the eight-year-old made short work of it, stunning the entire gathering. It was a rather bad start for Kamsa who became furious and tried even more wicked methods of extermination. However, every one of them failed. Having slowly worked Kamsa up to the height of fury, Krishna finally tackled him direct and killed him. With Kamsa removed, the reign of terror that prevailed in Mathura was over. While the public rejoiced and danced in the streets, Krishna and Balarama, rushed to relieve Vasudeva and Devaki from captivity and at long last the tormented parents were reunited with their divine offspring. Although at birth Krishna had revealed his divinity to Vasudeva and Devaki, he now made sure that they both came under the spell of his Maya so that they could enjoy him as their son. Thus it was that Vasudeva started worrying about Krishna's education and then entered him and Balarama into the Gurukulam of Sage Sandipani, where the brothers excelled as model students. Completing the charade of receiving education, Krishna returned to his parents in Mathura, where at long last he learnt all about his relatives. He discovered that his father had a sister named Kunti who had three sons named Yudhishtra, Bhima and Arjuna. Later I shall give more details about Kunti and her sons because that is important to our narrative. To get on with what I am telling you right now, a chance for Krishna to meet Kunti soon arose on account of a total solar eclipse. On such occasions, the pious always gathered at a holy spot and took a cleansing bath on conclusion of the event. Krishna and Balarama went with their parents to a place called Samantapanchaka, which is close to the Kurukshetra, later to become famous. Gathered at the holy spot were men and women, sages and kings, the rich and the poor and the old and the young. Nanda and Yasoda were also there, and there was an emotional reunion between Krishna and his foster parents who brought him up in Gokulam and Brindavan. Meanwhile, Kunti spotted Vasudeva and bitterly complained to her brother for having ignored her so long. Whereupon, Vasudeva had to narrate the sad story of how most of his time was spent in prison. The rishis who had come there in large number were overjoyed about Krishna's presence. They knew who he was. They rushed to him and fell at his lotus feet. But with a mischievous wink, Krishna held them in check. Instead, like an ordinary boy, he prostrated before them and sought their blessings, much to the embarrassment of the holy ones. Spotting the rishis, Vasudeva approached them and asked them about the best path to follow in order to achieve purification. With deep feeling, the rishis said, The constant and incessant worship of Narayana is the path to follow. Not only is it the best, but it's also the easiest. Vasudeva was delighted and he turned to Krishna and said, Heard that? What a wonderful advice. You too must remember to follow that. Wearing a supremely obedient look, Krishna replied, Yes, of course, Father. I shall always remember that constant worship of Narayana is the only path. Well, that's all for now. I shall see you again next week. Meanwhile, please rejoice that we are so fortunate to have that very same Krishna with us right now, right amidst us. All of us must use every means we can command to make the best use of this incomparable opportunity. Not only to elevate ourselves spiritually, but also to experience true bliss by being one with the Lord in body, mind and soul. Jai